you for joining the Element Church Podcast, where we exist to guide people to experience life to its fullest, connect into meaningful relationships, and make a lasting impact. Wherever you're listening from today, we hope this message inspires and strengthens your faith. Good morning, everybody. How are you doing? Doing, I don't know. Honestly, I shouldn't give you independent and specific and direct feedback, but you looked as cozy in your chairs as I feel in my new fantastic element church sweatsuit. All right. See, now you're doing great because you're jealous of how good I look. Okay. Now we're, now we're pepped up. Have you guys seen the new element store out there? Uh, Christina did a great job launching this. Do you know why we did this? Because we're turning 15. Amazing. 15 year anniversary of element church. We're going to be celebrating that over the last week, this weekend, next week, uh, celebrating what God has done in our midst over these last 15 years. If you don't know me, my name is Buzz. I have not been here for 15 years. I haven't even been here for 15 weeks, but uh, I'm excited to serve as the lead pastor. And so, man, thank you for joining us here on Sunday as we come around what the Lord wants to teach us from the scriptures. But before we do that, I want to give some stuff away. Do you guys like free stuff? I love free stuff. That is my favorite price to spend on anything which is free. Unless they like taped money to it, then I would probably like it even more. You know, our vision here at Element Church is to help people experience life, get connected into meaningful relationships, and make a lasting impact. And last week we talked a lot about experiencing life. If you weren't here, man, you missed out. Honestly, you should check it out online to see Leslie's story of how God took her from darkness and death into new life. And today I want to talk a lot about getting connected into meaningful relationships by celebrating some of you guys. You know, a church really is a transformed people coming together around the truth of Jesus Christ and living life together on mission for him. Element Church wouldn't be the same without the people who are in it. And so, man, if you have been a part of Element Church, whether this is your first day or your 15th year, man, thank you for being around. And so I want to celebrate some of us. And so I have some free stuff from our Element Store, new and old. And, you know, the reason we have our Element Store stuff isn't to make like a ton of money. Uh, because I don't think we actually make any money. We put it back right into the ministry, but it's to put tools into you guys' hands to bring our vision and impact out beyond these walls and into our Walmarts and our schools and our workplaces and conversation starters just to put the vision kind of on your body, so to speak, so that you can strike up a conversation and be proud of what God is doing at Element all around you. And I'm proud of my new sweatpants. I'm proud of my quarters of putty. And I want you to be proud of some of the new stuff as well. So uh, you have to be bold enough to raise your hand if you fit the category. And then I'm going to use the t-shirt cannon that God has attached to my right arm. Wow. (laughs) Put your safety goggles on. Here we go. So if you have been here at Element Church for longer than 10 years, would you raise your hand? We want to celebrate you. Thank you. Awesome. Amazing. Amazing. You guys are the best. I'm going to throw... This is... You can't see what I see. I can only see like spotlights and some hand. I'm going to throw it to you and I'm not going to hit you. So hand it to her. See, you have the right idea. You're ducking down. Perfect. All right. (laughs) I almost hit the person who was ducking. All right. Are you cheering for me or for her? Honestly, you should cheer for her. Great job. Uh, I want to give this amazing, uh, what what do we call these in Wyoming? In California, we call it a beanie. Yeah. This is what we all, okay, good. California is correct. Wyoming, Beanie, here we go. I want to give this to you. If you help lead a small group, does anybody in here help lead a small group? Amazing. If you're not connected with our group's ministry, you got to do it. And, and you, who's sitting behind Sam, who I can see Sam, why don't you hand it to her? You got to get connected to our group's ministry because this is how we grow together, both in relationships and after Jesus Christ. So thank you to our small group leaders and small group attenders. You guys are amazing. All right, is anybody in here active duty military? All right. Congratulations. Thank you for your service. You guys are the best. 
The, uh, I have never been in the military, but I've seen some movies about military, and for some reason they're always changing their socks. So here are some Element Church socks. There you go. <laughs> Thank you for your service. All right, has anybody uh, been attending Element Church since we were in the movie theater? Way back, way back. Did anybody attend Element Church before Element Church even started, that they moved to this town to start this church? Robert's family, you guys have done that. I want to give, oh, you don't want this one. You need a new one, right? Here you guys go. Did you guys know the Roberts family is our, one of our original families that started Element Church? We're really grateful for you guys to say yes to the vision to move to a new town and to keep showing up faithfully. You guys are awesome. So keep it up. The t-shirt is fair trade, right? No. <laughs> All right. Is anybody here for the very first time today? And you're bold enough to stick your hand in the air and you got a t-shirt. That's great. That's great. You actually can't get these anymore. There's something about t-shirts, you know, like you get one and then they come out with a new one and instantly yours is like out of date. Uh, but then after a while it becomes cool and you've been around for a while. So you guys can wear this shirt. I'm going to throw it to you. Don't spill your coffee or spill it. You know, do you? And then you can be like, oh, no, I've been here for a long time. I have the I Heart Wyoming t-shirt. That's for our I Heart Wyoming church planting or church support initiative all around Wyoming. Thank you for coming. If you are also new, well, I only had one shirt, so don't hit the player, hate the game. All right. But man, it's about people here at Element Church, isn't it? If you don't know somebody, get to know somebody. I'm blessed by you. Uh, I'm still new, so if I haven't met you yet, I'll be out in the lobby. Continue to introduce yourself to me. Remind me of your name. Uh, I would love to meet you if I haven't done so yet. But it's not about me, right? It is about Jesus Christ. And so I'm excited for our copycat series. We had our enthralling bumper video about how we can pray like Jesus. Because I kind of have this thing. You know, it's a weird thing, I know. But I think if we want to be followers of Jesus, we should, you know, do what he says. Is that weird? Am I the only one who thinks this? If we want to be a follower of Jesus, we should act like he acts, follow what he teaches, be like he is, live the life like he modeled us to be. That's why I'm excited about our copycat series is because we want to copycat Jesus in all manners of life, but specifically in his prayer life. So I'm going to suggest to us this morning, if you want to have an intimacy with God, a relationship with God, a closeness with God like Jesus had, we should pray the way that Jesus prays. You agree with that idea? If we want to have an intimacy with God like Jesus had, we should pray like he prayed. You know, in churches like ours, evangelical churches, we often say we are not about religion, we're about relationship. You guys heard this kind of a statement before? Do you agree with this statement? We're not about religion, we're about relationship. Yeah, okay, we agree. But let's evaluate ourselves today. Do we really act as if our spiritual life is primarily governed by our time spent with Jesus? Even if we do spend time with Jesus, how much of it is in prayer? I think if we're honest, a lot of us would say this morning that our prayer life isn't where we want it to be that our closeness with God isn't where we want it to be, that we are not modeling him as much as we should be. I think some of us would even say, I probably never even prayed at all. Prayer is new to me, you know? Hmm. I wonder if even if we do pray, do you feel like it works? Do you feel like it builds a relationship with God? Do you feel like it forms you into a Christ-like character? Well, there's good news here today. If you're like me and you think, man, I'd love to be closer to God. The good news is that Jesus shows us the way. You know, in this, I think Jesus is like my new Garmin watch. Do you guys like my watch? Amazing, right? Uh, Garmin is headquartered in Olathe, Kansas. That's where I was born. 
Wow, amazing. All right, so Jesus is not like a watch. Okay, hello. But I learned that here in Wyoming, all you people are like runners or hikers or marathoners. I swear, the first three people I met were like marathon runners. And I was like, what is this state all about? I'm more of like a couch runner kind of a person, you know? And then here we are at 6,100 feet. I moved from 50 feet above sea level to 6,100, and I'm standing up here preaching. I get tired, but I'm like standing and talking, and I'm tired. Like, oh, I need a break. It's like, I got to improve my physical fitness, you know? My kids join the cross-country team, and like uh, my time isn't even good enough to make junior varsity at the middle school. I was like, man, <laughs> what is going on? I need to get in better shape. But I didn't want to like exercise. I didn't want to like do anything. Hello, who would do that? You guys seen these dentist commercials that are like, nine out of 10 dentists recommend that you floss? It's like, where's that one dentist? Like, who really gets it? I need to find that guy, you know? Nine out of 10 doctors recommend you eat right and exercise. Like, where's the one guy who really is going to be with me, you know? Is going to see like, yeah, don't eat right, don't exercise. You're just magically going to get into better shape. Just get zapped. Like, that's what I'm looking for in my fitness plan, you know? And of course, that's silly and, and dumb, but how many of us treat our spiritual fitness kind of in that same way? You know, we want to have a better result. We want to be more intimate with God. We want to have a relationship with him that's continually getting stronger and deeper, but we don't want to, you know, do anything about it, you know? Nine out of 10 pastors recommend increasing your prayer. Like, where's the one that's like, I cannot pray, you know? Let's find, that's not this church. You got to keep looking. You got to keep looking because we're going to try to increase our prayer life. We want to find a way to get healthy without putting in the work, you know, but it just doesn't work that way. So there's one thing I hate more than exercise, and that is wasting money. And so I thought, if I actually buy a fitness watch, I'll be so mad at myself that I spent money. I'll actually use it. And so far, it's working pretty well. I've tricked myself into doing it. And so I like it because it tells me how far every day I have to run. It tells me when I get to take a break and walk. I love that. I love to take a break. It tells me how long that workout's going to be. I don't even have to come up with a scheme on my own. I just do literally what my wrist tells me. It's amazing. Garmin Fitness is smarter than I am. I just do the plan they've outlined, and then it's not like I'm some marathon guy, hello, but I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I just get to participate and show up, and now I look good doing it in my sweet element tracksuit, you know? (laughs) I used to not look so good. I did find out, though, in my neighborhood, it's both running into the wind and uphill, strangely, all the time. It's like a geographical miracle, but what can you do? You guys need to pray for me, right? This is like our prayer life, of course, right, in many ways, that Jesus tells us what to do. We just need to show up and do it, right? He takes the heavy lifting off of us, and that's why I like this copycat series. Over the next five weeks, we're going to find out what does Jesus tell us to do, and how can we show up and do it? If Jesus is like our Garmin fitness spiritual coach, what is he telling us to do, right? So why do we even do this? Why do we model the prayer life of Jesus? You know, he's, tons of reasons, right? He's the one with the success. He's the one with the plan. He's the one that showed us here on earth how to live rightly. If we call ourselves our followers, we should do what he says and live like he taught. But I still think the most important reason to pray like Jesus did is to have the intimacy with God that Jesus does. I never want to lose sight of this, right, through this prayer series. Often we say we don't have a religion. We have a relationship with God. But Why do we always lean into prayer in a transactional, reciprocal way? As if our prayer life is a checklist and a duty, God the heavenly accountant is marking it down in our ledger. That's the same religion we say we don't want to have. We want to access a relationship with God, a approach to him in the throne room boldly, face to face. And so why do we focus so much on stuff and efficiency and not so much on intimate relationship in our prayer life? 
You know, I think as American Christians or Element Church Christians or people gathered with us today here online or even people here who are just checking out this Jesus thing for the very first time, we don't see prayer primarily as building relationship, do we? In fact, I look up some stats about this, and, and Barnard Research Group tells us that Americans primarily pray for two reasons. Number one, uh, we need direction about a big decision that we make. That's the number one reason Americans pray. Number two is we just need something, whether it's like a healing or a breakthrough or a new job or something with our kids or some circumstances. So we pray basically when we need wisdom for a decision or when we need stuff. It's a transactional kind of a, of a way, statistically speaking, that Americans do. And so how do you fit into that statistic? How is your prayer life doing in reflecting a relationship with God? Are you as close to him as you want to be? Or are you just primarily asking him for stuff? You know, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we would say we want to be closer to God. But intimacy is hard. Hard enough with people, and yet now we have to develop a relationship with an unseen creator? I'm so glad we have Jesus to show us the way because this is hard work. And so if you're like me and you're saying, I would like to be closer to God, I'd like to have a better relationship, I would love to not have guilt in my prayer life anymore, I would love to not feel worried in my prayer life anymore, I would love to not feel pressured that I'm doing it wrong or not enough anymore, I'd love to pray like Jesus does, you might say. And so if you want to have that same intimacy with the Father that Jesus had, then we need to have the same prayer life that Jesus did. You know, this is just like our vision statement here at Element Church, isn't it? Today we've been talking about connecting into meaningful relationships, but the most meaningful relationship is your relationship with God. This is the one that matters. That's why getting connected here is so powerful, because you can connect with others who are likewise trying to go closer to God. We're not a social club or a hobby group or a political committee or anything like that. We are trying to be a transformed body to one another and reconciled to him. But it's hard to do, isn't it? Hard to find meaning in relationships and even hard to build a relationship with God. And so this is why I take such solace and comfort from how the author of Hebrews puts it in chapter 4, verse 15, in the book entitled Hebrews. He says it this way, This high priest of ours, and he means Jesus, he understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. And I love this verse. It's amazing news that Jesus understands that we are weak and frail people who are just doing our best to get out there each and every day. Like our faithful Garmin coach, he's showing us the way he lived a successful life and he's inviting us into that life. He already lived it. He's an example for us to follow. And not just an example, he's more than an example. You know, he paved the way, he showed us how to do it, but he's also the one who pours out his spirit on us he walks with us every step of the way. He shows us the way, and he walks alongside us as we go. You know, my watch doesn't do this for me. In fact, on my first run, I was supposed to do a so-called benchmark run. And so I went out there, and I did it, and I got a review from my watch. You know what my review was? Needs improvement. <laughs> I mean, okay, but also, thanks a lot, man. Where's the sugar coating, you know? They didn't come alongside me. They didn't encourage me. They didn't run with me. They didn't empower me. They weren't there. They're just beeping me on my wrist. Do better. You're not good enough yet. Hmm. Jesus isn't like that. He's not beeping us saying, needs improvement and leaving us to twist in the wind on our own. He comes alongside us, walks with us. He's not about your results or your efficiency. He's about relationship and intimacy and connection. So Jesus walks with us. And not just with us, he, 
He's the king, man. He's powerful. He overcomes. In other words, Jesus' prayer life was effective. He got stuff done, right? So Jesus was close to God, and he got what he needed through his prayer life. And one of my favorite times where we see Jesus put this into practice is in Matthew chapter 4. So I'd love to turn there and kind of hone in on what Jesus did to be spiritually powerful, to overcome the things that this life throws at us, and to grow close to the Father. In other words, he's going to do some things here in Matthew 4 that we can also do. So let's try to identify those as we read them together. We'll put it up on the screen for you as well. So the Gospel of Matthew puts it this way. He says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. All right, we'll pause there. So if you're familiar with the Gospels and the life of Jesus, you might recognize this passage as part of what's called the temptation of Christ. And I like that name because it's like the British say, it does exactly what it says on the tin. This is where Jesus is sent out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil at the beginning of his ministry. I don't know why necessarily it had to be the case, but I love that we already see an echo of the idea that we already saw in Hebrews chapter 4, that Jesus is with us in everything yet without sin. And so here in this passage, I see him identifying with us in two very common aspects of our humanity. The first is hunger for food, and the second is temptation to sin. You guys ever experienced those things? Hunger for food or temptation to sin? You have? I told you I couldn't see you, but I still don't see your head nodding. I think we've all been hungry, and I think we've all been tempted. You know, why was Jesus so hungry here? Well, look back at verse 2. It says he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And then it says he became very hungry. This is another, like, British understatement. I love it. 40 days, of course you're hungry. I mean, we're in here. It's almost lunchtime. You're like, how long is this guy going to talk? Honestly, I got to get food for the Chiefs-Bills game. Are we going to do wings or are we going to do pizza? I don't know. Maybe you're already on your Papa John's app getting it delivered to your house. Just me, right? Just me? I don't know. I know, skipping one meal seems like a lot. Making it to lunchtime seems like a lot. And here is Jesus fasting, going without food for 40 days and 40 nights. Man, when I think about going without food for that long, there's a term that they have, right? It's never been applied to me. It's called hangry. You ever heard about this word, hangry? Right? One meal, and here he is, 40 days, 40 nights. And so it makes sense to me that the devil would try to strike at Jesus when he had been the most tired, the most weak, and the closest to failing, right? So is this the correct way of understanding the passage? Did the devil come when Jesus was at his weakest? Is that what's going on here? Was it that Satan saw Jesus hungry, tired, weak, and he's like, okay, here's where I can strike. Here's where I can trip him up. We're going to get in there when he is at his (laughs) hangriest, so to speak. I thought that was the correct way to think about this for many years. But I wonder almost if there's another way, or another reason, I should say, that Jesus was fasting ahead of his temptation. Is there another reason that he would skip food and reduce his reliance on his own bodily strength? A reason he would lean away from the physical realm and into the spiritual? Is there a reason that 40 days of fasting was this preparation for his temptation? Is it that Jesus fasted to prepare to be not at his weakest, but at his spiritual strongest? Have you ever thought about it that way? Did Jesus fast to prepare to be at his strongest? You were talking about the prayer life of Jesus, something effective. Why is he fasting? You think about it this way. Maybe you want to run a marathon. 
I don't know why you want to do that, right? But say you are going to. Like, on the one hand, is the person most prepared to run a marathon like a well-rested person who has never ran in their life? You know, think about it. They've stored up so much relaxation, and right? And over those next 26.2 miles, they can just show up and try hard. They haven't frivolously wasted their energy on those training runs. No, you know? <laughs> They're ready to go. They've stored up like a battery, fully charged, just show up at that finish line and run. Is this how marathon running works? Man, I sure hope so, but that's not really how it works at all. We know this. You have to train. You have to run. You have to submit your body to the hardship so that it will grow. And so running, while it might tire you out in the short term, somehow makes you more prepared to run in the long term, doesn't it? So you might think, okay, the runner is at his most tired when he is training, but actually that's preparing him for the long haul of success. You cannot run a marathon without training for it. You just simply cannot. Right? And in the same way, we cannot run the marathon of life without training for it through preparation and prayer. You can't just show up and hope to be spiritually strong enough in the moment with this relaxation finally accessed. You have to work hard. You have to put some skin in the game. And I think that's why Jesus showed us ahead of his toughest time, the temptation. He was fasting. He was ready. He was prayed up and ready to go. In a couple of weeks, we'll see right before he goes to the cross, he does this basically again. And so if we want to have the same intimacy with the Father that Jesus did, and we want to pray like Jesus did, I think we're going to have to fast and pray like Jesus did as well. A crazy claim, I know, but if we want to have the prayer life like Jesus did, we have to do what he modeled for us. And so before we get too much further, let's look at some definitions. I love definitions. It's my favorite thing. So let's ask ourselves, what is fasting? You know, I've seen some of these guys come into my YouTube ads with like their shredded abs and they're like, if you think cardio gets you like this, you're wrong. And then I like skip it after five seconds, but they're probably trying to sell me intermittent fasting or something like this. You guys know these people? Am I the only? Social media is listening, so now you're going to give in your YouTube ads too, for sure. <laughs> this is going to happen. Is this what Jesus is talking about? Like managing his nutrient intake for maximum efficiency? You know, I don't think so. In fact, I think it's quite different because in the spiritual life, your motivation or your reason for doing something uh, is a big part of how you're going to get your outcome. In other words, the, the motivation behind what you do is as important sometimes as what you do. And that's why I'm proposing this particular definition for fasting this morning. Fasting is a temporary abstaining from food for the purpose of spiritual intimacy. An abstaining from food for spiritual intimacy. Right, so this is the fasting Jesus is talking about. Not just skipping meals, but doing so with a purpose of spiritual growth, spiritual intimacy, and spiritual power. So if you fast for the purpose of weight loss, that might be good for you, but that's not what Jesus is talking about today. If you skip a meal because you're running late, that's not the kind of fasting Jesus is talking about. If you just don't want to make dinner because you're tired, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. You know, fasting like Jesus is talking about has this specific purpose and a specific action. Namely, you replace the time and energy you would normally spend on preparing or consuming your food with prayer. So to be spiritual fasting, you have to replace the time and energy you spent on food preparation or consumption with prayer. So in this way, fasting has almost like a negative and a positive component. In other words, it's both something you abstain from and something you lean into as a result. It's both something you take away, food, and something you add, prayer. You need both the subtraction and the addition if you're going to have the spiritual benefit that Jesus had. 
if you're just missing meals without reinvesting that energy you normally spend on your physical body in your spiritual body, you're not fasting like Jesus did. So if you want to pray like Jesus, have intimacy with the Father like Jesus, you have to fast like Jesus, I think. Now, some of you might be asking, I have never heard about this. Like, why didn't I know about this already? And if you're kind of thinking along those lines, I don't think that you are alone because not just about Element Church, but I think generally speaking, the American church is pretty poor at fasting and pretty poor as a result, I think, at praying. That's just my opinion. You know, but think about it. America, I'm proud to be an American, by the way, and I love America and we are all about food. And I love food too, right? America, God bless America. We invented fast food. You don't even have to get out of your car to eat food. Unbelievable. God bless America, you know. Maybe you don't even want to get in your car. Who cares? You can have DoorDash bring the food right to your door. You know, God bless America, right? Say you don't even want to eat out. You can drive up to Walmart. They put the food right in your trunk. You don't have to get out of your car. This is amazing. God bless America, right? Now we invented Instagram, which may or may not have been invented specifically for you to share your meals with me visually. Awesome, right? We invent new food all the time. Have you heard about bread? What about sliced bread? What about toast? Put a new food on top of your toast, avocado toast. Unbelievable, right? We love food. We're a culture of food, of feasting, of abundance, of overeating. I think the most American pastime of all, honestly, is to share a meal with friends and family and talk about other food that you like also. Man. God bless America. We are not a fasting people, though. We're a feasting people. Sometimes that's good, but honestly, we are not a fasting people. We're a feasting people. Now, you might be in here and think, man, all that talk about food sounds great, but honestly, my family and I don't know where our next meal is coming from. Hunger for us is not like a spiritual kind of a thing. It's like how we experience each and every day. And if that's you, man, I want to say we at Element Church stand with you as well. We have a fully stocked food pantry, and don't leave here without food and and nutrients for your family because that matters. That really matters. It does. So we're with you too. But for some of us, we can't imagine a rhythm other than eating and snacking and sharing and coffee and food and soda and snacks in our body, our hunger, our needs, and our desires. This is the way that we live. And so to think about being hungry, that's like what we avoid, right? It's hard for us to think about being hungry. It's almost the opposite, though, of how it was in Jesus' time, in his disciples. And he, of course, lived in a poor country, ministering to a poor people, oppressed by the Roman Empire, and often struggling even to make ends meet. So how did they view food, hunger, and prayer? I'd love to look at Mark chapter 2 and see how Jesus' disciples and the religious leaders of that day saw fasting. We'll pick up in Mark 2, 18. We'll put it on the screen for you as well. And So once when John's disciples, and he means John the Baptist here, and the Pharisees were fasting, some people came to Jesus and said, why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and the Pharisees do? Jesus replied, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Hmm. You know, here I'm noticing a a couple things about Jesus' followers that almost seems the opposite of us. Because in Mark chapter 2, there is an assumption that Jesus' followers will fast. This is like the default mode. Fasting is kind of what everybody expects to be the case. There's an assumption that Jesus' followers will fast. Do you see that there? The, the Pharisees expect fasting, abstention, self-control, refraining from what they could do as a normal part of spiritual life. You know, but for us today, it's almost the opposite. Fasting isn't the assumptive default. It feels weird if you do actually fast. So whereas in Jesus' day, it was strange to not fast. For us, it is strange to fast. We've almost flipped it 
on its head. Why would you want to do the almost mystical seeming, replacing food with prayer kind of a thing? But Jesus here in verse 19, he, he teaches us a couple of things. Firstly, he says his disciples should be in celebration mode. In other words, Jesus is there on earth with his people. So if ever there was a time for feasting and food and partying and cake and the whole nine, it was when Jesus was there. And so he says, man, you need to celebrate when it's time to celebrate. If we're just about going without, that's going too far. We need to celebrate when it's time to celebrate. But here in verse 20, do you see what he says? He says, one day the groom, meaning himself, wouldn't be physically present. Therefore, his disciples should fast and pray. And he's kind of talking about us, isn't he? Because Jesus isn't physically present with us any longer. He's ascended into heaven. And so this is the time period where Jesus is saying his disciples should fast. So what do you think? Should we do what Jesus says? I've tricked you. You have to say yes, right? And so I think if we want to do what Jesus says in our prayer life, we have to make fasting a part of our rhythm. I just do. All right, so if we do, what's the purpose? What's the point? Is it just an empty kind of going through the motions that Jesus had for us? Or does Jesus see something deeper that he's almost woven into the fabric of reality that he wants us to access by fasting? So why do we even do this? What's the point? What's the purpose? Why do we fast? Let me suggest three reasons for us this morning. Firstly, I think we need to fast so that we can hunger and thirst for righteousness. Let's fast so that we hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now here, of course, I'm echoing Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount that righteousness, by which he means the kingdom of God or the spiritual realm or the eternal unseen things, these are more important than the physical, earthly, temporary things that we can taste and touch and feel, right? The eternal is more important than the temporary. But here's the thing. We're stuck in this physical world, and therefore we're often more attuned to the physical than the spiritual. In other words, the physical realm makes more sense to us than the eternal realm, wouldn't you say? I mean, which is more common for you? Feeling physical hunger for food or feeling spiritual hunger for the word of God or for prayer? I think if we're honest, it's hunger for food, isn't it? But this is just exactly why Jesus said to the devil way back in Matthew chapter 4 that man should not live by bread alone, but by every word from the mouth of God. The word of God, the sustaining truth in the, in the word of God, the intimacy with the Father present in the person of Jesus, like that's what we need even more deeply than physical food, isn't it? And so by fasting and therefore introducing some hunger into our lives, we can be reminded to hunger and thirst for those things that truly matter. We can use our physical hunger as a almost springboard to be spiritually hungry. And so when you're fasting and you feel a hunger pain, you can be reminded to seek God. When you're fasting and you wonder, what am I going to do with this hour on my lunch break at work? You can take that hour and read the Bible and pray and sit with Jesus. When you are searching for food on a daily basis and wondering what's at the snack bar and where's the coffee pot and what's all this going on, you can kind of quiet yourself and say, I don't need to chase after this physical sustenance. I can sit and have peace with Christ my Savior. We can hunger and thirst for righteousness and not just hunger and thirst for food. In other words, we can leverage that physical weakness into spiritual strength. Just like God promised Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians, he says to Paul that my power is, excuse me, my grace is sufficient for you My power is made perfect in your weakness. And so when we introduce a little bit of weakness of hunger into our life, God's grace will be sufficient. Right? And that's, I think, the second reason almost that we fast, which is, number two, we fast to reduce our reliance on ourselves. 
So firstly, we hunger and thirst for righteousness. Secondly, we want to reduce our reliance on ourselves. Man, this is another one I feel like that hits right at our identity as Americans. Because as Americans, like, what's the hope? It's that we are self-reliant, we are successful, we are independent people who have provided for ourselves, who have planned well, and we don't need to accept any help from anyone, right? This is kind of the American dream in a lot of ways. And often that's a good thing, right? I hope that we are wise and that we do well and that we apply wisdom to our contexts. But at the same time, we are not ultimately responsible for ourselves. God is the one who provides. And when we end up relying on ourselves so much, we forget that he is our provider, our sustainer, our creator, and our equipper. So when we fast, we can say in part to God, I don't want to look to this food any longer to sustain me. I want to look to your grace, God, to sustain me. We say almost like, I don't want to look to my nutrition plan or my exercise plan or my financial savings or even my success at work or my own wisdom or my 401k. I want to look to you, God, because you provide. We can say, even though I carve this food out from my life, I don't want to live by bread alone. I want to live according to your word. And let me tell you, whenever you step out and rely on God, he finds you there. And that's when you feel really close to him. Because he will sustain you and he will lift you up. He will be with you right where you are. And just like Jesus found in that desert after 40 days, that's where you are strongest because that's when the Lord really can be with you. You can never be overcome by the devil when he is with you. And when you're weak, there he is strong. So number two, we fast to reduce our self-reliance and increase our reliance on God. All right, so what's the third reason that we fast? Well, number three... We fast because it works. You know, one other thing I've learned about Wyoming here in my couple months is that we are a practical people. We like to get stuff done, right, don't we? If it works, we'll do it. No frills, no muss. Let's go about it. So perhaps that's you and you don't need a lot of theory about fasting. So let me speak to your pragmatic side, your get it done side. Fasting works. Try it. As Charlie told me about marathon running, just do it. Man, Nike made billions on this concept. Let's give fasting a shot. You know, I can't even explain fully why fasting works, but I know that it does. And I guarantee you that if you incorporate fasting into your rhythm of prayer, you will grow deeper and more connected with God. You know, my friend Father Joseph puts it this way. He says, when you really learn how to fast, that's when you can begin to learn how to pray. When you're really hungry in your body, that's when you can be really hungry spiritually. Or take C.S. Lewis's way of putting it, he kind of likens the spiritual growth to digestion, right? You, do you know how your digestion works in your body and how it metabolizes? Did you pay attention to like 10th grade biology? Because I didn't. But I eat every day, and I don't know how it works, but I know that it does. In the same way, C.S. Lewis encourages us, why not fast and pray and try it and see? You don't have to know how it works, only that it does. And Jesus modeled us fasting and prayer. So if we want to have intimacy with God like Jesus did, and we want to have an effective prayer life like Jesus did, we have to pray like Jesus did, and that's going to entail fasting and prayer. It just does. It just does. If you don't like it, speak to the manager. All right. So say you're intrigued and you'd like to begin to activate fasting and prayer in your life, and you might be thinking to yourself, well, how do I do it? How do I do it? Well, let me give you five kind of simple targets to start with, right? Because this is new to a lot of us, even new kind of to myself. I'm no fasting expert, no fasting pro. But let's kind of come around these five simple targets. So number one, like running, start slow. 
You know, I did the same thing for my Garmin coach I've been telling us to do this morning. Just trust that it works, right? They know Garmin's like a multi-billion dollar conglomerate. Like, they probably know how to do it more than I do, right? So I'll just do what they say. And I've only been doing it for a few weeks, and I'm no big-time runner or whatever. But it doesn't say needs improvement anymore. It says yellow. All right, we're getting there. All right, here we go. Literally, my first walkout was to walk for three minutes and then jog for five. And so, like, how is that supposed to build you up into a 5K or, like, marathon competition distance if you just walk for three minutes and run for five? But I had to trust the coach. And she told me, if you do too much too fast, you will either get injured, which would be embarrassing, or you will get discouraged and you will quit. So start slow. Walk three minutes, run five. And you know what? I think she's right. I haven't been injured yet, and I haven't quit. I think it's the same for fasting. You know, like if we try to go 40 days, we're either going to get injured or we're going to get distressed and we're going to quit, aren't we? So let's walk for three, run for five. Let's start slow. Let's build it up. This is a lifetime discipline. We're not going to build Rome in a day. Neither are we going to revolutionize this just once. It's a lifetime pattern. So start slow. All right. And then number two, pick a target day. So throughout this copycat series, I'll be fasting every Tuesday, except for this week when it's going to be Thursday. And the reason I'm choosing it that way is that those are typically the days when I prepare my message. I want to be deeply in Bible study and in prayer and to try to do a good job illuminating the Word of God for you guys. And so I want to be at my spiritual strongest on those days, and therefore I'm going to fast on those days. That's what I'm going to choose to do is my target day. I'll fast breakfast and lunch and replace it with a time of prayer. So what are you going to pick? It doesn't really matter what you pick. Just pick something literally anything, and give it a shot. But without a plan, you won't just remember one day to wake up and do it. We're introducing a new discipline into our life, and it's going to take some work. So you have to be intentional. Jesus tells us what to do, but you've got to get out there and do it. So start slow, maybe one or two meals a week, but pick them and stick with them. All right, I think it'll go better for you if you, number three, partner with someone. Partner with someone. So we're starting slow. We're trying to be specific. And number three, partner with somebody. This is just easier. It's better. It's more satisfying in community, isn't it? There's an ancient proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go quickly, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. I think it's the same in spiritual discipline, right? We've been talking about this all morning. As we connect into meaningful relationships here at Element Church, we help each other follow Jesus better and over a longer period of time. And so maybe that's an accountability partner that you have, or maybe it's your spouse, or maybe it's a small group, or maybe you need to connect to a small group because you don't have anybody who can walk with you in times like these. So we have our whole group's ministry going on. So find somebody who can walk through this with you, and I think you'll be more successful than going it alone. But our primary partner in this is not ourselves, it's not our friends or even our small groups or even our church. Our primary partner in this, I think, is Jesus Christ himself. It's Jesus himself. And that's why my fourth suggestion is to ask the Lord to help you. You know, the goal of this isn't efficiency. It's not getting wisdom. It's not getting our prayers answered. It's intimacy. It's relationship, isn't it? And so, therefore, we should invite him relationally in to help us with this. You know, he walked through all this, too. He modeled this in his life on earth. Hebrews 4 says he did everything, was tempted by everything you were, and overcame it. So, ask him to help you. Ask him for his grace. Ask him for his mercy. Don't check off the box of effective prayer time, but create intimacy and relationship with him. So ask him to be present. Invite him to show himself to you. Invite him to be right there. I mean, this is like un-American all around. We're already getting rid of food, so what if we did an un-American prayer? Don't ask for wisdom. Don't ask for prayers answered. Ask for intimacy or depth of relationship. I think it'll change your life. I really do. 
Wouldn't it be amazing to know Jesus better as a result of your prayer? Fasting and prayer will give that to you. And so here's my fifth suggestion. You know, it's, it's obvious perhaps, but we've got to remember to keep the main thing the main thing. Whenever you do this whole program, number five, make sure you replace that food time with prayer. Right? This is the whole point. Are you too busy to pray? Well, not when fasting. You just got a couple errands back in your day or a couple hours back in your day. And don't take the time to run your errands. No, take the time to pray. Don't think, oh, I can sleep later because I don't have to make breakfast. Like, no, get up at the same time and pray instead. Don't think, awesome, I get to catch up on my homework on my lunch break instead of eating. Like, no, you take the time and replace it with prayer. Skipping food isn't enough. You have to lean into that food time and replace it with prayer. You know, maybe it's just sitting in silence, listening to the Lord. Maybe it's reading through the Psalms and catching their words to help you pray with more focus. You know, next week, Pastor Kat is going to challenge us on how to use the Lord's Prayer as a guide for our own prayer life. Maybe it's that using the very prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray when he was here on this earth. Whatever it is, there's no right way. Just add prayer in that vacancy when you take away your food. All right, Elementary Church, how do we feel? Are you hungry to pray? I'm so proud of this pun. Are you excited to start? Let's take some of our own advice and invite Jesus in at the beginning. Would you go with me to him in prayer? Lord Jesus, we confess sometimes following you is hard. And we confess sometimes we're not willing to put in the work. Uh, Would you forgive us, God, if that's the case for ourselves? Father, there are others of us who find following you hard because it feels like we put in so much work and we don't see the results. Father, for those of us in that category, would you show us your grace? Would you let us know that you are happy with us, that you are not angry with us? that you love us, that you died for us, and that you want a relationship with us. Father, for some of us in this room, we don't know how to pray, and fasting even seems like such a weird and strange thing, almost mystical for someone else. And God, would you just help us to know that whatever we choose to do to follow you, you are right there with us. You are every step close at hand. You never leave us. You never forsake us. It's not about finding the right disguised path to you. You have made the way by dying on the cross. God, would you just help us to rest in the grace that we are loved as beloved children by you. And God, we want to be closer to you. We want to have a better relationship with you. We want to be known by you even more. So God, over these next weeks, as we learn from you and how you prayed, would you meet us in our midst? Would you pour out your Holy Spirit upon us? Would you reveal to us a bit more about who you are and who we are as a result? Father, when we pray, would you be there? Would you meet our needs? Would you give us wisdom? And would you draw close to us, we pray. Father, this relationship with you, it it often feels like it's up to us, but sometimes we need a reminder, Lord Jesus, that it really is up to you, that it's by your grace, that it's by your sacrifice, and that it's by your love that we even do this stuff in the first place. So help us to rest in that truth, God, that you are pursuing us. You are close at hand. Father, your mercy is new every morning. May we find that fresh, new mercy today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. It's 11.59, which is to say almost lunchtime. So I would hope that you feel like so guilty about your food today. 
That's like my biggest dream as a pastor. And of course, I'm joking, right? There's no guilt in this. We are just kind of offering this copycat series as a way that we can glimpse the life of our Savior, how he lived on this earth, and activate some of that for ourselves, man. So I look forward to hearing your stories about how fasting and prayer, or even a stop-start or a mistake in fasting and prayer, or a failed prayer attempt has shown God you the grace in your heart. So would you allow me to speak a benediction of peace over you as we go? And so may our Lord Jesus Christ, who overcame everything here on this earth, paid the penalty for your sin on the cross. May he be with you every step of every day this week. Go in peace to serve our God and King. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast or follow us on social media. To learn more about our gathering times in Cheyenne, Wyoming, or to take your next step, visit our website, elementchurch.life. Thanks for tuning in. Catch you next week right here on the Element Church Podcast.